You're listening to episode 13, three big ideas to elevate an intelligence program. You're listening to the Business of Intelligence, a podcast that explores how intelligence serves decision makers beyond the traditional national security audience. Tune in as we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners working at the intersection of business and risk in order to analyze and discuss the field of private sector intelligence. We'll talk about what's working, what isn't, and how intelligence is helping organizations navigate today's global operating environment. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Business of Intelligence podcast. I know it has been a minute or two, maybe, since we last spoke, but we are excited to be back, and thank you all for being so patient with us. Well, this episode is is unique for a couple of reasons. The first is that this is going to be the very first solo episode of the podcast. My friend and co-host Mike was recently called to active duty. He's supporting the Ukraine crisis response in Eastern Europe. So unfortunately, he can't be with us at the moment. And for the record, he did tell me it was okay to say that. There's so much going on in the world right now that I think Mike's experience speaks a bit to why we haven't been on in quite some time. And that's because our day jobs are just keeping us incredibly busy and busy to the point where it's been just impossible to record. So as a result, we had a conversation about this. We really, really wanted the show to go on. So what we're going to do is introduce solo episodes when either of us has the time. And we're going to kick out content because we just have so many topics to cover and so much to talk about. And we'll get back to our normal cadence as, as soon as we possibly can. In the meantime... Please reach out to Mike directly on LinkedIn or leave a message on our podcast LinkedIn page and just send him your best if you have a moment. This episode is really dedicated to him as we want him to stay safe and do great things out there. The second reason why this is unique, and I'm just essentially joking when I say this, but just a few hours ago, I landed after a 14-hour plane ride. So between the time change, the lack of sleep, a little bit of congestion, the sole nature of this episode... Who knows what you're in for, (laughs) but I'll try to get through this and deliver what I hope is some good content that you'll appreciate. And on that note, the way that I wanted to start was just by talking about one of the most common questions that I'm asked. And I think one of the most common questions I hear discussed at, at industry conferences as well, and that's how do I elevate my intelligence program? Now, that's obviously a big question and one that we're committed to answering since we first thought of doing this podcast There's no shortage of answers. There's a million little things that we could all do. But for today's episode, let's go big. We want to challenge our existing ways of working just a bit and see if we can achieve some major breakthroughs. So in that spirit, this episode is called Three Big Ideas to Elevate an Intelligence Program. So for starters, what exactly constitutes a big idea? Well, there's a few things, in my opinion, and the first is I think it has to be something that's at least partially unique and challenges an existing paradigm or way of working in our field. So in other words, how can we shake things up just a bit? How can we get out of our our boxes just a bit? And I say partially unique because there's no doubt that there's ongoing conversations around these topics. I know I've been thinking about them for quite a while. Others certainly have as well, and they're probably talking about them. But second, it has to be something that's also actually feasible, at least in some form, and something I think that we can operationalize and actually institute. So it's a lot of fun to talk about concepts and theories, but 
One of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast was to give practitioners actionable advice and lessons learned so we can get better. So the ideas have to be feasible. And then third, big ideas help elevate, they help innovate, they help chart a, a new path forward and ultimately help us break through those ceilings. And that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to elevate the field of private sector intelligence and break through those ceilings that are holding the function and sometimes you as the practitioner back. So that's the background and what I would call my unofficial criteria. So why don't we dig in just a bit and explore some ideas in terms of how they can help us elevate an intelligence program. So the first big idea is Let's expand our services to other parts of the business and beyond corporate security. Now, listen, I admit calling this a big idea is it's probably in the eye of the beholder. In my opinion, this should not be considered a big idea and it should be a fundamental component of any successful program. And I'm guessing there's a few of you that are listening right now who agree and you're probably wondering, okay, why did this make the list of big ideas? But conversely, there's definitely some of you who have worked under this paradigm that the intel practitioner should provide service to a corporate security department and no more. Or for those of you who aren't, my goodness, allowed to provide your service to anyone beyond a corporate security department. Now, this might fall under the category of a big idea for you, and that's why I thought it was worth exploring. So before I flush this one out a bit, I do want to share a couple of messages for two different audiences that might be listening right now. So number one, if you're a corporate security leader and specifically a chief security officer who's listening, please don't take offense to this perspective. If intelligence is part of your department, empower that function to work across the business and let them be a major force multiplier for you and your department. View this big idea as an opportunity because intelligence can do a lot of things for you and it can bring great credit upon the department and help negate some of the misconceptions and unfair labels that are usually cast upon security departments. Now, if you're an intelligence practitioner who is listening and you fall under a corporate security department, here is what I am not saying. I am not saying don't support security or you shouldn't support security. That couldn't be further from the truth. The security may be your primary customer or most important customer. You know, it obviously depends on the organization, but that could be the norm for you right now. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, what I would say is please push and push and push to expand serving those beyond just your department or else the function is never going to reach its full potential. And what that does is it creates vulnerabilities for the function to include when it comes time to start cutting personnel during tough economic times, which is what we're seeing right now with a lot of our peers and friends across the industry. So if you're going to expand your services across your business and not just serve those within your department, where should you actually start? So let me offer up two quick suggestions for everyone. One that I think is incredibly simple and one that does take a little bit more thought and effort, but that's okay because I think it'll give you a greater return on investment. So let's start with a simple suggestion because we're obviously so busy. We're trying to optimize our work, save as much time as we can. If you are a team that is centered around producing intelligence products, whatever those might look like, and those products are solely intended for your security teammates and security practitioners within your department, simply take that work and share it with others who you think could benefit. I've been really, really surprised just over and over again at how people in other departments find the work useful, 
even if it wasn't originally tailored to their needs as a customer or met a specific requirement that they had. Now, some business functions that come to mind for this include those that are usually wrapped up under the, the communications banner to include actual comms teams, government relations or government affairs, public affairs or corporate relations. If you have an operations business function and your work has a nexus to anything that could disrupt operations, they're another great start. Same goes for HR. If your work has a nexus to people and whether or not they could be impacted by the issues or developments that you're analyzing or providing insights on, they might be a great audience as well. So sharing your work as a service with other business functions, it takes little time and more oftentimes than not, it's going to generate additional interest in what you do and hopefully additional or new requirements. And then all of a sudden you might find yourself in a position where you have brand new customers, which is a great thing. So this is definitely the easiest way to get started. And it really costs nothing more than the time it takes to prep that potential customer on what's coming their way and then hitting send on the email. Now, my second suggestion it takes a little more time and effort, but it's definitely a worthwhile investment that should bring you a greater ROI in the long run. And that's conducting a customer and stakeholder mapping exercise to deliberately identify those within the business who could benefit from your service. Now, I won't dive too deep into this because the value of stakeholder mapping and analysis is definitely an episode on its own. But what you're doing here is you're really going through the process of identifying different people within your organization who could benefit from your service. And then you're subsequently building strategies on how to best engage with them, how to best market and or create a demand for what you provide and ultimately win them over. So along the way, you'll likely identify those sponsors and champions that I'm going to mention here in just a minute, along with any potential blockers or naysayers that you might need to be aware of, which is also very important. Now, I'm sure that there are a number of approaches you could take to start expanding your services, but those are just a couple of quick suggestions that I know work because I've used them myself with pretty good success. So as you're taking all this in, as you're processing this, the next question you might have is, all right, well, how can my team and department benefit from this approach? I am absolutely comfortable just providing our services to my regional or field security leads. Why should I expand beyond this existing audience? So in order to answer that question, there's just a few things that I wanted to say in response to that. The first one is that running a successful intelligence function or I think a corporate security department for that matter, it's not just about doing great work. It's oftentimes about getting the necessary visibility you need to even have the opportunity to do great work and add value. The visibility that you need to get a seat at the table to both be included and not be forgotten is absolutely critical. Now, the second thing that I would flag for you is that related to what I just said, related to that idea, is the idea of getting enough exposure to find sponsors. And hopefully those sponsors, at least some of them, can be at the executive level who can ensure that you have a seat at the table, who can advocate on your behalf and identify opportunities where you might not otherwise have been privy to them. Because we definitely all need that type of support. No matter how successful we've been in the past or not, we need that support. Everyone needs that champion and that sponsor. Providing an Intel service across the business also, it just sets the conditions for all of this. It ensures that when the time comes for budget cuts, whether that's due to a recession or maybe it's a restructuring of your organization, the Intel practitioner isn't going anywhere. 
So in other words, the visibility and exposure that's been afforded to you by providing service across the business is a safeguard. It's not only just a safeguard, it speaks to value creation in numerous ways as well. And value creation is what we all want to be known for, especially if we're part of a department that's perceived as being a cost center. The final thing I would say here on this is the idea of expanding service across the business matters because it also creates a happy, healthy, and successful intelligence function. I don't know if there's anything worse than an Intel function that thinks that they're being underutilized, underdeveloped, and unheard. <laughs> so at a minimum, what you can have is this can result in boredom, but I think on the other end of the spectrum and at worst, it results in very, very talented team members leaving the team and impacting business continuity. And business continuity is a critical factor in maintaining a healthy function because when talented people walk out that door and they have significant institutional knowledge, it takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of effort, a lot of resources to fill that gap, not only with regards to their expertise, but also in trying to, to maintain that great team culture that you built before that. So just speaks to creating a happy, healthy, and successful intelligence function, which is very important. So that sort of wraps it up for the first big idea. And again, I, I realize that's in the eye of the beholder, but that's number one. So let me segue to the second big idea. And the second big idea is it's really about reframing what we do. And the idea is this, let's reframe and transform our intelligence analyst model of today into a business partner model. So as a business partner, what you can do is you can serve as a strategic advisor that brings both tremendous value to the organization and those you serve within it, while also creating a more inclusive role for the various types of intelligence practitioners that are entering the field today. So I'm going to talk about this just for a bit. When it comes to thinking about how to structure an intelligence function, there's no doubt that most of us draw upon what's familiar to us and what's comfortable to us based on our time in the government or the military. We have intelligence analysts that are subject matter experts assigned to a specific geography, or we have analysts that lead an account on a specific topical or functional area. And as private sector functions have grown and expanded over the years, we've simply modeled our functions the same way, as if operating in the private sector was exactly the same as in the government or the military. And it's not. It's not the same, yet we've carried over that same model. And in this instance, we're solely talking about intelligence analysts. What about the intelligence collectors and all the other different types of practitioners that transition over from the public domain? There are really no roles specifically tailored to them. So we just try to plug them in the analyst roles because of this legacy model that we have of how we structure our functions. So imagine this, you are a case officer in a government agency and you want to move to the private sector, welcome to Company X. You're now going to be an intelligence analyst. And I'm not sure if that necessarily works all the time. Back in episode two, we heard from the brilliant Paul Colby, who talked about how private sector analysts do so much more than analysis. They carry out every function of the intelligence cycle. So framing the role as an analyst is actually selling the role short. And it's also really undermining it at the same time. And we talked about the idea of framing our intelligence practitioners as intelligence advisors and not analysts as a result. So I wholeheartedly agree with that. I mentioned it on that podcast. You know, I really believe in that. 
But what I want to do today is I want to take it just one step further and talk about what it means to be a business partner. So I think that most organizations utilize the concept of business partners, whether it's an HR, a legal business partner, an IT business partner. So for all of you listening, it's probably a term that you might be at least somewhat familiar with. If you haven't heard of this concept, let me take a quick minute to explain. And I'm going to use the example of an HR business partner to drive home my point, just because I think that's probably the most sort of common form, if you will. So let me start with a source called Bamboo HR, who defines a business partner as this. Rather than working primarily as part of the internal HR department, the HR business partner works closely with senior leadership. Placing an HR professional in close contact with executive leadership makes HR a part of the organizational strategy. And I know in this instance, they're specifically talking about senior leadership, and that might not always be the case with you intelligence practitioners listening. So here's a part two that I think is very relevant. The HR business partner is more of a consultant who works in human resources, building relationships, and providing resources to departments throughout the organization. So I really like that last part. Now, from the Academy to Innovate HR, here's another definition that I think I like even better. The HR business partner is a strategic liaison between their department and the business. These senior professionals have a deep understanding of the business and ensure that their function helps the business make an impact. So those are just two examples, but if you were to do a quick online search right now in just a couple of minutes, you could assuredly come up with and find a number of different definitions for a business partner. But those are two that I really liked and wanted to share with you. So let me summarize now just a bit because that was quite a bit of background. So here we go. Imagine that instead of our current model, where intelligence analysts provide insights on either geographical areas or topical areas using a push-based approach in the hope that what they provide in terms of their intelligence is timely, relevant, and actionable. We instead use a business partner model where the traditional intelligence analyst is reframed into the mold of an intelligence business partner. And that business partner is armed with a deep understanding of their business where they serve as more of a consultant and strategic liaison between the intelligence function and other departments within the business, educating and building relationships with key stakeholders and potential customers along the way in order to provide those departments with the resources, i.e. intelligence, that they need to be successful and in order to make better decisions. So it just is very profound to me and it just makes so much sense. And I love this idea. Now, implementing this idea is not that difficult. One of the assumptions I'm making here is that you've already crossed that bridge of providing an intelligence service across the business to different functions. And now what you're really trying to do is elevate your function. So when it comes to a business partner role, there's definitely certain skills that are needed for the role. I think someone who is customer driven, someone who is really good at building relationships and seeking and getting alignment, someone who can learn the business inside and out, along with knowing what their function has to offer in order to best meet the needs of, of your customers, someone who can help flush out the customer's requirements or needs. And the list I'm sure goes on and on. I'm, I'm sure we can name a few more for sure. You might be sitting there right now thinking, 
this is just way too disruptive trying to reframe these positions that we have. And you know what? Beyond that, the analyst model is the way that we've conducted business for years. It's the way that we've done things for as long as that we've been in practice or since we've transitioned over from, you know, the governments or the military. But what I'm here to tell you is that I don't think it has to be completely disruptive or a complete overhaul as we probably don't need an entire team of intelligence business partners. For some intelligence practitioners, this may not be the right role for them, for starters. I mean, not everyone is going to want to embrace this. And quite frankly, not everyone is cut out for it. And that is absolutely okay, because you always want to maximize the talents of the teammates you have instead of trying to fit, let's say, a square peg into a round hole. But when you think about it, you could easily construct a pretty diverse team that includes a mix or a hybrid of customer-facing intelligence business partners who build the relationships, who create demand for your function services, who identify opportunities within the business to add value, and meld that with the traditional, so to speak, intelligence analyst who provides that deep subject matter expertise on a geography or topical or functional area that's critical to the business. So why do I think this concept and this big idea makes sense? And why do I think it can be successful? Well, there's a handful of reasons that I wanted to share with you today. The first is intelligence is a service and the customer is the focal point of that service. So the intelligence business partner role that I just described, I think is, is tailor-made for intelligence as a service. And let's be honest here, regardless of what business we're in, we're all humans and we know that relationships matter. And they usually matter almost more than anything else. So when I think about what approach I'm going to take as a leader to create demand for our services and add value to the business, I'm definitely thinking about how can I build the right relationships first to get there versus just sending out intelligence products to someone who you don't really know or haven't really met before. Now, reframing an intelligence analyst role as an intelligence business partner it also creates, I believe, a more inclusive role that really opens up greater possibilities to recruit a wider array of talents and backgrounds. So going back to my comment about a, a government case officer transitioning to the private sector, doesn't the role of an intelligence business partner sound like perhaps a better fit for that background instead of trying to invest in forcing that person into an analyst role? And like I said before, there are so many different types of practitioners within the Intel community beyond just intelligence analysts. So this could be a great way to potentially tap into that talent pool and, and help build a diverse team within your organization. Okay, if you couldn't tell, I'm pretty passionate about that idea, but let me transition to the next one or I'm just gonna keep going and going. So this brings us up to the third big idea, which is this, build a horizon scanning program and make it the foundation of your intelligence program. Now, if your first thought is, what is a horizon scanning program? Let me just take a moment and provide you with some quick background. So I think everyone who listens understands that navigating today's business environment is incredibly difficult. It requires new ways of seeing, it requires new ways of thinking and new ways of acting in the world. And that can be informed by a steady flow of pertinent signals of change. And horizon scanning identifies those signals of change. And more specifically, horizon scanning is a technique for detecting early signs of potentially important developments through a systematic examination of potential threats and opportunities. 
So here's some additional context from an article titled The Rise of Horizon Scanning Risk Management Programs, which is an article that I really enjoyed. And in that article, they go on to say, every ambitious business wants to know what's coming next and how to handle it. So much so that the practice of horizon scanning is becoming a major strand in protective risk management, or excuse me, proactive risk management and business continuity. So why is this considered a big idea? Well, when I think about it, I think the main reason is because this isn't usually the foundation of most intelligence functions. Geopolitical risk analysis is often the foundation for many teams, or it might be protective intelligence, which is what my function was originally built on. And there's plenty of other examples. It depends on where you come from and, and what the needs of that business are. But let's consider why horizon scanning should be the foundation of your intelligence program. I think the first reason is a horizon scanning program and the early warning that comes with it should really have very, very broad appeal to your organization. I mean, what organization does not want or would not appreciate foresight on something that could positively or negatively impact their people, their operations, their strategy, bottom line, brand reputation, et cetera, et cetera. The second thing here is it allows an Intel function to capture the current moment. And when I say capture the current moment, what I'm talking about is taking advantage of the recent crises of the global pandemic and or the Ukraine war, if you were impacted by that. Businesses have been operating in this VUCA world. And by VUCA, I mean volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. If they didn't know it before the global pandemic, they certainly know it now. And it's only getting much worse from my perspective. So more than ever, organizations need that foresight in support of, let's say, crisis management and business continuity functions, which intelligence functions usually support. And so here, intelligence functions can provide that foresight through horizon scanning. I think it's also an easy and low-risk way of introducing your function to other customers. I mean, providing potential warning on something doesn't really expose you to any risks in terms of, let's say, being accused of playing in someone else's sandbox or stepping on another function's toes and some of the sort of in-house politics that get in the way of things sometimes. And it oftentimes generates follow-on questions, which can serve as an opening to provide additional follow-up and eventually a potential opening to talk about what else you can do as a function and what other services you can provide. And then finally, if you're part of a brand new program and you're not sure where to get started, maybe you don't have a lot of resources and you're feeling the pressure to add value and develop some legitimacy for the function, I also think this is a really great place to start. There's no doubt that you can leverage technology to the nth degree for horizon scanning, but conversely, there are so many free resources out there that you can utilize to detect signals and provide warning to your business. So implementing a horizon scanning program, I don't think it's that difficult. And something tells me that most of the intelligence functions out there are doing some form of this already and maybe in a major way. So I'll keep this part pretty short as this could be and should be probably a standalone episode. But in terms of that implementation piece, one approach is simply to use the intelligence cycle as your framework to develop a strategy. I mean, you simply take each step of the cycle and, and flush things out and think about what you need to do, what you want to accomplish. If I were thinking of a couple of steps in the cycle that are, are top of mind or, or that stand out to me right away, certainly the collection step is probably the first thing that comes to mind. 
And rightly so, because you're going to want to use multiple information sources and collection methods to tap into as many information domains as possible to identify those signals and early signs for risk or opportunity. That will also allow you to, when you focus on this collection piece, conduct a gap analysis of your collection capabilities and resources as well. And that's going to help you identify critical gaps that you might be missing. All the other steps are important as well. There, there's no doubt, but I think the planning step is very, very critical to set a good foundation and get off on the right foot. So one of the things that comes to mind here is just asking yourself and making sure that you track down what key intelligence requirements or questions are you trying to answer? Mapping this out from the start is going to provide that proactive roadmap that you need and help you from being completely overwhelmed by the collection piece and, and really by the sea of information that's at our fingertips at any given moment. That sums up idea, big idea number three. And I know I went through all of that rather quickly. So why don't I just take a quick moment and do a quick recap for everyone. So number one, the first big idea, and again, depending on your perspective, is to expand your services to other parts of the business and specifically beyond corporate security. I really believe this is a critical step to the long-term viability and success of an intelligence function. And if you're part of a corporate security department, it's also a big time force multiplier as well. The second big idea was transform our intelligence analyst model of today into a business partner model. It might not make sense to do this for every role within your team, and maybe a hybrid model is what is going to work best for you. But as a business partner, you can serve as a strategic advisor that brings both tremendous value to the organization and those you serve within it, while also creating a more inclusive role for the various types of intel practitioners that are entering into the field today. And then finally, the third big idea was to build a horizon scanning program and make it the foundation of your intelligence program. It doesn't have to be, and honestly, it shouldn't be the only component of your program, but it's a low risk way to create broad appeal to your organization. It can help you capture the current moment of the VUCA world that we're living in right now. And it can be a relatively low cost way for fledgling programs to really get off the ground. So there you have it three big ideas to help elevate your intelligence program. But before I close out, there are a couple of ideas that I also want to mention that I gave a lot of thought to. I'm going to include these in what I call the honorable mention category. Although when I say that out loud, that's probably not even fair as I think these ideas need episodes on their own perhaps. But let me just talk through these for a quick moment. The first honorable mention idea is that intelligence is not intelligence products. And I'll say that again, intelligence is not intelligence products. Now, I know that that might be a, a bit provocative and it's meant to be. It's really meant to get us thinking about intelligence as a service. And you might be shaking your head saying, what are you talking about? That's exactly what intelligence is. But it is so much more than producing products. This is definitely a topic worth diving in a bit deeper. And we're going to do exactly that in one of the next couple of episodes. Now, in terms of the bottom line up front, what Mike and I are going to do is really just give everyone a call to action for private sector practitioners to recalibrate, let's say, how much time and attention they spend on the end product versus other parts of the service in order to be more successful. Now, the second idea that could have made the list today, but I think also deserves its own episode, is really around disrupting entry into the field of private sector intelligence. And specifically, how can we create talent pipelines into the field in order to be fair 
in order to be more inclusive and infuse the field with the talent we need to elevate and professionalize what we do. So anyone who has recently transitioned or is transitioning from the military or the government or even law enforcement, and definitely the same goes for graduating students as well, you know how frustrating it can be to break into this field. I've heard you. I've talked to you about it. I've seen, you know, this frustration sort of play out on LinkedIn, but I'm also going to stick up for a quick moment for hiring managers because they're not exactly set up for success either. There really is no specific talent pipelines to turn to. There really are no standards in terms of what an organization is looking for in the form of an intelligence practitioner. There's no standards across the board. We often turn to formal and informal networks to hire someone we know or someone who's been endorsed by someone we know. And despite that level of familiarity, it doesn't always turn out to be the best decision. So looking forward to talking about these topics a little bit more in depth in the future. So now coming full circle, just wanted to say thank you for listening to episode number 13. This was three big ideas to elevate an intelligence program. And this episode is dedicated to my friend and co-host Mike Mallard, who is out there doing great things. So Mike, if you're listening, thank you for all you do. Please stay safe out there. I look forward to getting back on the microphone with you here in the next couple of weeks. And again, for those of you listening, if you want to send a message to Mike or perhaps leave a message on our Business of Intelligence LinkedIn page, that would be great as well. So appreciate the time and attention. Thanks again for listening to us. Thanks for sticking with us. And until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.